Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 111. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher from Massachusetts. And on Life of the School, we sit down as a group of biology teachers, and we talk about issues that we face in our classroom. Uh, and we try not to get distracted by, you know, the world being on fire. But we, we may de- <laughs> we may <laughs> we may descend a little bit on into that as well uh, as we are recording this in early January. Um, uh, and uh, things have been it was a it was a hard first week back in school. So uh, we will uh, we will try to get on there. So uh, joining us uh, from Arizona is Tanea Hibbler. Welcome, Tanea. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. Well, today we're going to get distracted. We're not going to focus on the world outside of us right now. We're going to get focused on our goofy opening question. And so my question for this episode was, uh, you have your own late night talk show. Who is going to be your band leader? Okay. So I am, I just don't do, like, I don't do bands, right? Yeah. Um, I probably would have some uh, somebody who's really good at like freestyle rapping on there or something uh, with maybe yeah. some a live band who could just give some beats or something. But sure. um, the only like so I don't know band. I probably know some, but off the top of my head, the only band where I was like a little groupie for a little while was um, in college. My friend in Yaze had this band, and I I would go watch him perform, and I just always it was kind of like jazzy kind of mm-hmm. um and it was always really good his band was always super creative and um you know so if i was gonna hire somebody i'd hire in yaze all right i like it you guys you guys went with people you know i, I like the i like the connecting down there all right now joining us next uh from missouri is ryan laxon welcome ryan hi good to be here all right and who is your band leader for your talk show well, I said uh, Tim Blaze from Acapella Science. He is amazing. His lyrics are fantastic. I mean, what what he does is just mind blowing. I, I I love what he does for science communication. I had to put in an honorable mention, of course, for Glenn Wokenfeld, and he he was up there too. But <laughs> had to go with Tim. Yeah, so you're 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 like doubling down on the nerddom. You're you're like it's your late night talk show is all about science communication. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> gives, gives me a new idea about who i might i might pick and uh, and joining us next is lee ferguson from texas welcome lee hello so i would actually pick ryan reardon like i don't know if y'all know but he had a band back in the 90s right and like i went and found him on itunes <laughs> and so he they, and they yeah they have a cd and um yeah, it's Ryan Ryan Reardon and the and Levy the Levy Breakers. Breakers yep. and I, so, I could I would have gotten that trivia trivia question right. <laughs> yes, yes. So I would want Ryan to be my band leader, but if I had to pick somebody like famous, it'd be Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats. Uh, okay. Because my my opening song would have to be SOB. No, no <laughs> doubt about it. Because that's just my general feeling most days. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> I've got, I, I mean, that's, so I had a really hard time with this because I think this is, I am somebody who listens to very eclectic kind of all over the place music. But uh, so I, my, I, I, my first, my go-to was uh, 
jazz saxophonist Grace Kelly, uh, who maybe not everybody knows, but she's a 28 year old uh, jazz, you know, phenom. Uh, she played at uh, Obama's first inaugura- inauguration. Um, and I think she is the last musician I paid to go see in person um, back in, I guess it would have been April of 2019. Um, I got us tickets. I got my wife and I tickets to go see uh, go see her when she came into Boston um, and performed at a little, the Boston City Winery. And she's just amazing. And she's, um, uh, she's a personal favorite of Michael Connolly, uh, the author who does the Bosch uh, series. And so she's in the Amazon series Bosch a lot and uh, comes into the like background of the audiobooks and stuff like that. But she's just like this spark plug of a jazz musician. She plays all the the oldies and the, but she's got some really kind of newer stuff too. And I think she would be fun. I don't know her. It's not like uh, <laughs> you guys naming people we know. Uh, so I, I would, I also realized that, you know, music on this episode and all my episodes is from uh, my former student, Jake Jakin. So I probably should have gone with him first because he actually is the band director of my, my audio project. <laughs> so. All right. Well, that was a that was a sort of fun distraction. As I said, I was I, I went down a lot of rabbit holes. I, I was thinking back on Ryan's, and I was like, "Well, what about they might be giants?" Uh, as, oh, a, as a good opening, that's a good one. They could be, yes. yeah, because they had their their ABCs and their science songs too. So yeah, it could be another one. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This is like one of those kind of things. That, this is supposed to be like my uh, my nerdy icebreaker, but uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, it was a nice distraction to have you think about what it would be like to live in a different world for a few days. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, as I said, we, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but this is the, the, the first week back in January, it, this was the hardest week back at school. I, it, this week was crazy. It was, it was longer than 2020. Uh, <laughs> I feel the opposite. <laughs> oh, you, were you in class? Yeah. Well, oh. I mean, virtual class. Yeah. Uh, see, I was in person class. Uh, <laughs> well, hybrid class, not in person the way Ryan is. Uh, or I guess maybe I'm assuming things. Ryan, are you hybrid? Are you, what is your setup still? Are you still back face to face? Yeah, we are still back face to face. Well, that that is excluding, excluding the students who are quarantined, which is like 25% of the school. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's, uh, you know, we went back to hybrid and it was, um, and I know Lee, you were commenting about how, uh, I took probably much more of a break than I do on breaks. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that that contributed to it. Like we came back and I was like, uh, really like I, I we got two days in and I was like, I've been doing this for four months. <laughs> like, this, is, yeah. this is exhausting. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, it was, it was hard only because of the disruption mm-hmm. in the middle, um, because my team and I got our stuff planned and put together in Canvas before break. What? So we actually planned all. Yeah, we actually planned all of Unit. And there's five a team of you that prior to the break. There are three hey. of us, and so because we have so many kids, right? We have two hundred and eighty-five students taking AP Bio at my school, and so we. You know, I told them, I said, look, our goal should be to plan the entirety of unit five before break. That way, when we come back, we don't have to worry about it and we can actually take a break. And so two weeks before finals, we started laying the groundwork for the fifth unit because we knew that there were going to be some things that we had to kind of rearrange and retool because of our kids being at home, you know, because we had more students go back to 
at home learning than coming back to campus this quarter because you know our kids can change every quarter and so you know so my classes have actually gotten slightly smaller since last quarter um but we went ahead and planned the entirety of unit five and are working on unit six you know and so we're trying to stay one unit ahead in terms of planning um you know because we just don't know how things are going to go this semester and you're going by the you know? cd so then you're doing your units in order we are we are yeah when we when the ced came out i told the team last year i said look you know for selfish reasons i want to teach the ced order because i'm a consultant i need to be able to tell teachers in training hey this is what it can look like but it could look like this if you wanted to this is just how we do it and then it turned out that it worked it actually worked out perfectly for us last year especially since the last two <laughs> units weren't assessed yeah. and so and so i didn't feel bad about following ced order and then when we got together this semester you know this year to to get ready for this school year i said you know what let's just do what we did last year at least you know now what now we know we're going to be assessed over all of these units so units seven and eight are actually going to be a little bit more work because we haven't taught mm. them yet not with the ced and so but you know i'm not worried about it you know and and the way that it falls for us that last unit unit eight ecology our ninth grade teachers do a really good job of teaching ecology at the ninth grade center so there's a lot that we don't cover mm -hmm. and that you know because they've had such a good background in it you know because it's on their eoc their star test and so when we teach ecology we really focus hard on population growth you know now we're going to have to focus on sampling because of the simpsons diversity index um, you know, and so we focus really hard on the things that really are specific to AP. Hmm. And so, I mean, it's not to say that we totally skip the rest of it. We just don't spend a whole heck of a lot of time on it because the kids know it, they master it. And so we really focus on the science practices and getting them to make those connections between ecology and the rest of the units from the year. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it, but it also falls at a time of the year when, you know, hypothetically, we could take the kids outside if they were all there with us. <laughs> and, and so we can do a lot of things outside. And so I'm, I'm going to lobby for us developing things where the kids can actually go outside, regardless of yeah. where they're at, you know. And so, you know, we'll see. We'll just see how it turns out. You know, I'm just curious to see what the rollout of exams is going to look like because, you know, at my campus, because we give so dang many tests, how are we going to spread these kids out? How are we going to distance these kids? You know, I mean, we give 3,500 plus AP exams every year and some of our exams seat seven or 800 kids, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I mean, my exam is one of the bigger ones and it's, you know, it's actually one of the smaller ones and it's still over 200 students that sit for it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I just, I don't even know what that's going to look like for us. I don't. Well, Lee, you are, you have queued us up for our theme for this episode and our next hey. episode, because you started <laughs> dropping the EOC in and uh, that's actually what we had decided Indeed. we wanted to talk about. And actually Lee was, Lee, Lee was like, yes, let's talk EOC. So you, you're already in that headspace, uh, clearly. Um, oh yeah. So yeah. Um, when I was thinking about this a little bit and talking about, talking about, and of course it was because um, right before December break, I want to say, and I know that Lee, you are one of our, our moderators on Facebook. Uh, the mm -hmm. college board basically came out and said, yeah, we're not going to do this. Like knowing what we know now, the exam is going to cover all of the AP units for biology. And 
that sparked a lot of conversations within the AP biology teacher communities, uh, the, both the formal yes. and then the more informal Facebook. And then we also got, yeah. um, I know my state was putting out rules right around the same time, right? Like they were talking about what mm -hmm. the end of the year exams were going to look like that. And my school was starting to talk about, so I thought, you know, end of course exams, um, you know, typically for those of you who, who may or may not, because every, you know, people teach in different states and people teach in different countries. And if you're in a private school or a charter school, you might have different rules. But to me, um, end of course exams sort of fit into two different buckets. There are the, the state exams, the ones that are given by the state board of education. And by the way, that's how Wikipedia defines end of course exam. It's a, an EOC is something given by a state. But I also consider like the APs and the SAT subject area tests also as end of course exams. And I think does, is that something we agree with? Is that does the AP come as it sound like an EOC to you guys? Is that absolutely? I mean, if you're looking at the word end of yeah. course, yeah, I yeah, it literally is <laughs> the end of course. Yeah, it's it just the, it's like an optional. Like, so there are courses, end of course exams that are optional and those that are not. So for me, that's you know, I maybe right. the opt in. So, um, so I, before we get into the logistics, and I think we could we will spend a separate episode just talking about sort of the logistics of this year and maybe compared to other years. But I just want to talk a little bit about our thoughts on end of course exams and also what it means in our individual places. So, so Ryan, um, I have learned how little I know about what goes on in your state. Um, <laughs> just in general. Um, although I do remember a conversation I had with Kelly Cluthy and I remember her telling me about end of course exams and me going, what, really? Uh, <laughs> she was talking about, about them. Uh, so uh, why don't we talk about uh, what is the, what are the advantages of end of course exams uh, for your students in your population? Uh, what, what's a good, maybe what's a, what are the goods uh, that come out of your students having end of course exams? I mean, let me preface this by saying I am so anti end of course exams. <laughs> I, I I dig deep to find anything good to say about them. Um, I I mean, I guess you could say that it's a way to demonstrate mastery um, mm -hmm. and a common ways so that you can compare different classrooms, different schools. Um, but again, like I said, that 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 was a stretch for me to even say that I I'm so anti end of course exams. Well, do, do you feel differently about the ones that are like the mandatory state ones versus the optional ones? Or, or I mean, you know, we all are te teachers of teach. We've all taught AP, and and you know, so we're to, we're opting into that system. Uh, does the do, does the student choice make a difference? Um, I mean, maybe it. I I, I think <laughs> that um, it. And I'll, I'll I'll get to it when I in another question, but I, but I think the the exam itself just precludes so much away from things such as um, performance, and so I I'm you know I I know I, I am an AP teacher. I was on the development committee. I did work my butt off to write a good AP exam, but st I'm it's still tough to say that you know we, we are as fair as we can be with. Um, any end of course exam that is. All right. Well, we'll get some positive. It's, it's possible there. Uh, <laughs> all right. So we go from, we go from one person who was deeply involved in the system uh, to another who's deeply involved in two systems. So Lee, 
you, you are mm-hmm. you are the queen of both AP and of IB. I mean, you look up you look up IB biology teacher uh, exemplar, and and Lee Ferguson pops up, and so you're an AP consultant. You are the you are a sounding board. You're you're all these. So, what are the advantages of these end of course exams? And and I know you've probably been involved in the star exam, probably one way or another uh, at some point. I am yeah. actually, yeah. In fact, I'm currently involved in <laughs> in writing items for the STAR exam, um, and so, and I actually, if, well, I say a few years ago, it's been 12 years ago now, um, wrote the version of the standards that is used mm-hmm. still, uh, or helped to write the version of the standards. Now they've been revised slightly since then, um, but I served on the committee that wrote the the current well. The biology standards, the, the the meat of the biology standards in the state of Texas was written by me and a group of my colleagues. Yeah. Let me put it like that. And then it was revised. And so, um, you know, so I, I've, I've had experience at three different levels. And so, and I've taught ninth grade biology because in the state of Texas, you know, I don't know how it is in most other places, but there are four star exams that students have to pass in order to graduate. And biology is one of them. And so, you know, for the for the folks that teach the ninth grade course, you know, that exam is their target. Mm-hmm. You know, that is what they align their, you know, teaching to. Um, and so, you know, in a way, we do the same thing with AP and IB. We know what our target is. This is where we're trying to get the kids to to get to the mastery level. At, you know, we're trying to get them to mastery level of the, the course content and the, and the skills. Um you know, so for, for AP and IB, I think it can definitely show potential readiness for college courses. I'm not going to say that it is necessarily something that shows readiness for college coursework simply because, you know, just because a kid performs well on an AP or an IB exam doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be prepared for jumping into upper level college science mm-hmm. courses the minute they step foot on campus. You know, um, I mean, I, I'll, I'll use my, my N of one as the example. I mean, when I took the exam 31 years ago, um, as a, as a, an 11th grader, I, you know, got a five. Of course, it was a completely different exam, completely different curriculum. I think there were only two kingdoms, right? Um. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Okay. <laughs> no, they actually still, they still called them Monera. Yeah, <laughs> um, but, you know, I got a five, which got me out of at my university only four hours of college credit because they didn't give me the credit for the whole year just for one mm-hmm. semester. And I started in upper level biology courses. You know, when I enrolled, I, I took an evolutionary biology course, which I was not mm-hmm. ready for. And I took an embryology course, which I busted my hump in. Um, and I was ready ish for that course. And so I don't know that necessarily the the proficiency on the exam demonstrates a readiness for, you know, college coursework. Yeah. But it's a, um, it's a potential you know, is I, what you were saying. It's a potential. Yeah. I guess it's kind of like, you know, how they use the PSAT to determine readiness for AP work, you know, the AP potential. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not. Um, but it's kind of like, I guess, college mm. potential, right? Like if you can do well on a college, you know, a college level, an, an exam that assesses college level, curriculum, then potentially you could be successful at the college level, you know, because how many students do we know who score well on AP exams that go off to college and then totally just bomb their first semester of school? 
you know, they, they exist. They, they do, exist. do exist. I mean, yes, I, I know that the data say, oh, well, these students are better prepared for college and they do better in college. Well, yeah, generally. But there are those students who 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 know how to take yeah. a test. <laughs> you know, let's face it. There are kids who know how to take a test. And it's the same way with the IB exam as well. I mean, in that exam, um, you know, it's a completely different beast than than the AP test. I mean, in a lot of ways, I think the IB exam is much more difficult um, than than the AP exam, simply because of the way the exam is constructed. Yeah. And so, you know, it's and if you're not familiar with it, it's got a multiple choice section that's 40 questions. Um, they have an hour to answer them. Those questions are typically very low level, but then it's parts two and three <laughs> that are the, that are the butt kickers because part two is all, you know, free response and, and short answer. And a lot of it is based on, you know, research papers that they have to, you know, they look at data and they have to answer questions about the data. And then they're asked concept questions, you know, um, I was looking at one earlier today and it was about, you know, describe how, you know, the, these types of intermolecular forces maintain protein structure, you know, and, and the kid has to be able to, to say, okay, well, this is how this does this. And this is how that does that. And, and when you look at the mark schemes for IB exams, they're very particular, (laughs) you know, they're, they're looking for some very particular stuff. And so it's, and then of course, part three is, is lab assessment. You know, they're looking to see, did the students perform labs? You know, so it's it's a very different beast than the AP exam. Uh, so, so so we have the potential for college readiness. That's I'm 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 reframing onto our positivity or question. Tanea, what is our uh, <laughs> what are our what are some potential positives for your students uh, when it comes to these end of course exams? And you're in a private school, so you don't have the state exams. I I imagine uh, they just have more of the external choice exams, unless I'm wrong. Is that, is that the case no, for Arizona? that's correct. There's no state exam that I'm worried about or concerned about. And um, all the, like, I would say a hundred percent, basically percent of the kids or 99% of the kids who graduate from my school are going to go on to college. And most of them are going to go to a, a lot of them are going to go to a very good college or they're going to get into a college and then be in the honors program at that university. Um, hmm. Uh, so for my students that I'm teaching, I think they're taking, uh, there, there are some kids who are just super passionate, right? Um, but I think more of the students are taking AP courses because they look competitive. So these end of the course exams have you looking more competitive on your college application. And some kids feel like they won't get into the college that they want to get into without that. Um, and, um, I agree that, you know, if you are able to be successful in an AP course, then that's, you probably have some skills that will help you to be successful in college. Um, Yeah, I, I have a lot more to say about end of the course exams too. (laughs) You know, I'm not even sure like the, the sessions that I've sat in this year with college professors, a lot of college professors are questioning how they go about teaching, right? And a lot of them are looking at what's happening, changes that are happening at the high school level. And some universities are reassessing why are we doing things the way that we do them. Um, and so I think yeah. we need to start, we need to, we need to do that. I, I really want to do that more often 
Like what's education about if we're not trying to get people working in a factory anymore, right? And we're not trying to just have um, these positions where you manage other people uh, at a factory and the world's changing and we need more innovation and we need to solve problems. Um, and we need people who can communicate with each other and argue from evidence and maybe people who can learn how to listen and have compassion and things like that. Then I think maybe we're going about education, ed education the wrong way. Mm -hmm. um, right now, I know that the kids that I teach are going to be fine. Like even if they don't pass the AP test, those kids are going to be fine. Um, most of them are going to be getting their college acceptance letters soon. And some of them have done early decisions. So they're, they already know where they're going to go. There's kids that are getting um, scholarships. and um, But I wonder about like everybody else. These end of the yeah. course exams, if you look at like uh, who's taking them, right? You have all these kids across the world that are taking them. And sometimes I think kids who are in a situation where the teachers aren't prepared and the kids are maybe underprepared or they don't have the supplies that they need, or even like if right now the pandemic's going on and there's all these challenges to, to get the content to the students. And yet those kids are going to be compared to kids like at my school where we didn't, we didn't skip a beat. We haven't really, you know, even though we've had some days where we're online, we've been mostly in person throughout the whole year. Um, and I'm more or less able to, uh, whether I'm on Zoom or not, I'm able to like get through the content. I, I check my pacing and I think I'm online for the pacing, but like all these kids are being compared the same way. And so, mm. and then someone's getting rich off of it, right? <laughs> so I have a lot to say about why are we doing it the way we're doing it? Yeah. All right. Well, I, I think we're going to come back on those negatives in just a moment. <laughs> okay. Because I, I think, I think we have some concerns. I think you're really voicing, I think my largest concern about it. But before we do that, I want to talk about some things I could see. And I'm going to, I'm going to bring this back sort of to a personal experience from having taught um, both the state exam and to talk to AP exams. But I, I, I do think that, the AP exams also can sometimes be a confidence builder. Mm -hmm. So the way I view it, and I, I taught in an alternative program with some kids who like really just struggled through the school day and they really couldn't get it. And, you know, at, in general, they were kids who were at risk for not graduating, similar to what Lee was saying. You have to pass a science course um, in Massachusetts. You have to pass one of our state exams to do it. And a lot of the kids who end up in the alternative programs, you know, they might have you know, missed the year that that was ex the exam they were going to take it and or whatever course they were going to take. And, and biology is generally the most accessible of the exams that is in our state. You know, there are other ones, but um, the biology teachers are most aligned with the state curriculum. And it, it's just something that we are very well at getting ready, you know, kids ready to do it. And I have these kids in the alternative program who would be young kids who may have had, you know, absence issues or health issues or other issues. And, and then they would be like, I don't know if I could pass this and they do it and they would be proficient or advanced on this exam. And it would be a bit of a confidence builder that they, they could get ready for this exam, that they could show mastery, some level of at least proficiency, if not mastery of concepts, even though they had a setback academically, it wasn't a permanent setback. So I can see it happening. And I can also know the kids who've taken the AP exams who who were felt very overwhelmed early on, struggle, struggle, struggle. And at the end of the year, they managed to get a four. And that was a huge confidence builder that 
they jumped into something that was harder than they thought they could do, but through hard work and through, you know, uh, you know, coming extra help and through spending some extra time and doing all that, they were able to grow academically. And they, at the end, were able to get some piece of evidence that it wasn't just a feeling inside. They got an external ver- validation of their hard work. Um, and so for some students that that's, you know, that that's a positive. Um, we could make the argument that for every kid that has that experience, we could probably come up with some, some kids who were discouraged based off of those experience. But, um, I do know that there are some students who definitely, uh, can gain some confidence from those end of course exams. So maybe that's, maybe I'm being too, uh, (laughs) sunshiny about that. (laughs) Well, I think for some, I mean, I see it more with my, with students who are ninth Mm -hmm. graders simply because they have the opportunity to retake that exam if they don't succeed on it the first time. Yeah. Right. Like our AP students, they get one shot. (laughs) Typically they get their one shot and that's it. You know, so I could totally see how, um, you know, if they weren't successful on an exam, that it would discourage them. I mean, again, going back to the end of one, I took AP English my junior year of high school, sat for the exam, and I only got a three. So when I took AP English my senior year, I was like, I'm not going to bother. You know, if I only got a three last year, I'm not going to bother taking it this Mm -hmm. year, you know, taking the exam. So I didn't. Um, And I wonder for how many other students is that true? You know, they'll sit for the course, but then decide, you know, oh, because I can only get this on the exam, then I'm just not going to bother. You know, but with our ninth grade students, the ones who maybe aren't successful the first time, you know, for the time, you know, and if they're not successful multiple times, I mean, we do have remediation that we do with them um, because the state does mandate that because it is a graduation exam for them. But once they do finally pass that exam, you know, for some of these kids, it is just such a big deal, you know, because now it means, oh my gosh, I get to graduate. And for the small proportion of our population for whom they might be the first person in their family to graduate high school, you know, I mean, we don't have very many of them, but they do exist in our mm-hmm. population. It's a big yeah. deal, you know, for them to, to clear that hurdle, you know, because it means they're one step closer to accomplishing something that nobody else in their family has done. Yeah. Yeah. The one other thing that came out sort of, I think that was in the background of sort of, as we were all discussing it, I think it, it happens all the time with us as we talk, the, the advantage is not necessarily for students, but for us as a collective is that by having these, you know, exams, we actually have a common language we can talk to each other about. Um, and I do think that there is an advantage from a like curriculum design standpoint to know that there are, you know, hundreds of other biology teachers out there who do the same thing. And honestly, if there was no AP biology exam, um, we probably wouldn't know each other, you know, (laughs) you know, or, you know, maybe we would, but you know, like as Taneo, we, we met at NABT. So we would, you know, we, we met there, but like, to me, I think the, the, particularly the AP exams and the IB exams and, and the communities that they are in there, they provide, they do provide a structure for, for, for growth and development of teachers. And I think in a lot of ways, the fact that they do that is the reason that <laughs> a lot of the negatives, which I know that we'll get to in just a minute, um, I think we look past them. I, I know that for me, the benefit I get and my students get from me growing as a teacher from knowing other AP teachers is a huge, huge benefit. Again, and it, it makes me sort of look past some of the deficiencies. Okay, uh, so 
but then I got to say, when you go to NABT and you look at who's in the room for the AP, like what they have, like the special AP luncheon or whatever, mm-hmm. there's no, I mean, there's, it's not diverse. So who has mm-hmm. access to those, to that professional development? Like what types of teachers have access to the professional development for AP courses? I don't think that's equitable either. Like I, I think it's a lot of teachers that really need the development and they don't have a school that's going to fund them or support them in getting um, the development they need. So they're, they're probably going to just access like whatever free stuff that they can. And they're going to miss out on some of the other like amazing um, opportunities because of lack of funding. Yeah. Uh, and that, yeah, well, and, and the fact is then that's, you know, it's those students who are not getting that are often, the, the, the students of those teachers are often le- often the students who need the resources the most, right? It's, it, it's, it's amplifying. It's students who are in well-resourced districts who have teachers who are well-resourced and students who are in districts that are not as well-resourced have teachers that are less well-resourced. I mean, it's, you know, it, it, it amplifies the problems as opposed to, or amplifies the inequities, you know? Uh, yeah, I hundred percent agree. Uh, and, and maybe that has to, be part of I think all of our thinking when we think about you know this post-pandemic world and we're going to be redesigning stuff um, and we're going to be modifying it's not enough just to go back to the way it was before because the way before wasn't equitable Mm -hmm. right yeah and then let Uh, me just say like when you go to the workshop because I I work at a school where they pay for me to go to the workshop right like if I want to go to AP conference or whatever workshop uh summer institute whatever I can go um but when I got, like, I remember the first one I went to and I got there and there's not a lot of people like me that are there. Actually, there's like, maybe there's nobody in the room that looks like me at, in my session. Right. And, um, and then it was like, literally, I don't, I can't remember. Is it three or four days? But it's like, rush, 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 rush. I'm like, oh my God, what's wrong with these people? Like, can't we actually like talk about it and not like and actually have the time to like you know I, I don't like I don't I'm kind of like la di da I like take my time and I don't like to be rushed and um both of the the ones that I've gone to I, it was very good information it was people shared everything wonderful nice teachers there but the the pacing of it was just it did not work for me like emotionally I was like wow I can't like process anything this quickly, I would never do it this quickly with my students. So why am I trying to do it this quickly with adults, you know? Mm-hmm. So just a quick question, Tanea, when was the last time you went to an APSI? I went um, not this summer, probably the summer before and the summer before that. Okay. And the only reason I ask is because I know that the structure of APSIs has changed slightly in the last couple of years. And so they've tried to make them so that they're a bit less harried, <laughs> I guess, is the, is the best way to describe it. Um, because as somebody who leads those workshops, I know, um, you know, that, that, you know, I try not to rush my people just because I know it takes time, you know, to, to let some of the stuff sink in and, and that we, you know, I try to have space for them to ask lots of questions and to discuss certain issues that, you know, are relevant to them and that they have concerns about, you know, as it relates to the, you know, as they relate to the curriculum. And so, you know, that's why I was asking, because I know the last time I went to an APSI was 2016, 
2015, I think, 2015, 2016. And it was at that point that I decided, okay, yeah, it's time for me not to sit in these anymore. It's time for me to lead these. And that's when I decided to become a consultant. And so, um, you know, so I know like the structure has changed slightly, which is why I was asking. Yeah. But I, I, I do agree though, that there's a, there's a balance that I feel for, for both ends of it. Cause I know a lot of people who are consultants and I know that if you're a consultant and you are running one of these, you're trying to provide, a as much information as you can in a, what is a ridiculously short window of time for a full year exam. Um, and at the same time, the people who are sitting in front of you, like when I went, cause I, I, I went to a summer, they weren't called APSIs back when I did it. Uh, but you know, like more than a decade ago when I went to it, I was, you know, I, I was in my like 14th, 15th year teaching, something like that, 14th year teaching when I went to my first one. And so I was not a, I was a new, new to AP teacher, but I was not a new teacher. Mm -hmm. So the, the tempo and the pacing for what I had, I was, it was a very easy, like it was not a big deal. And I also was going into a curriculum to work with a teacher who I'd already worked with teaching an honors curriculum. So it was like, I already knew the layout of what I was going to be teaching the next year because I was walking in. I, I was ready for that. And there were other people who were like literally, you know, second year teachers who had barely been in the classroom, who are like 23, 24 years old. And we were in the same room and trying to get the services to prepare to teach that course. And that's, you know, <laughs> you know, poor person running that thing. Like, how do you, how do you serve both of us? You know, it's hard. Yeah. Uh, I will tell you, it is incredibly difficult. And I mean, and, and sometimes I think that, you know, the inequity is perpetuated by having workshops that are open to every level of experience, because then the folks who are inexperienced don't get their needs completely met. And the people who are completely experienced, who just maybe need a tune up, don't get their needs met either. And so it's it's difficult as the facilitator of a group of people like that to serve both groups of people. It's very, very hard. And, and I, like I said, I've led those, but the more of the ones I lead, you're either a rookie, complete rookie teaching AP, or you are experienced. Like you've taught the course for at least a year, you know, or two. And most of the times when those experienced workshops, the folks that I've ended up, you know, that I've ended up teaching have taught the class for a long time and they're looking for, you know, new stuff. Yeah. You know, they want to know, okay, what are some new things that we can do to help our kids? You know, I'm looking for new strategies. I'm looking for new activities, you know, anything to help these kids learn this material so that they can be successful, yeah. you know, on this exam. So. All right. Well, I think we've, we've delved into it and I'd like to flush out a little bit more about this. Uh, and we, our last series of episodes, um, you know, before the, before, before the new year, as we, we came into the new year and we had that very positive, uh, you know, resolution for having equity as our focus in there. So I, I do want to bring mm -hmm. equity in. You know, that was before the insurrection on our government. Um, I want to I want to actually think about our world in terms of inequities. And and um, uh, I, I, I want to think about what are some of the issues of end of course exams for our students and concerns uh, when it comes to, you know, equitably preparing them for that for these exams. Um, so so Lee, what is. Uh, what are what are your thoughts about um, the inequities associated with end of course exams? Oh wow! And so when you think about it, I mean, there's, I mean, 
education is wrought with inequities by nature, I think, um, because, you know, Tanea raised an excellent point. You know, when you think about the teachers who do get to go to those conferences and stuff, they either work at schools that, you know, are willing to pay for them to go or they have a way to pay to, to go to those conferences and get professional development, you know, because the, the accessibility of professional development eventually affects your students and their ability to learn and to be successful on exams like that. Um, I know here in Texas, the big the big conference cast, the, the state science conference cast, that particular conference is all about, you know, how do we teach these kids, you know, how do we deliver, you know, how do we how do we teach teachers strategies for success in science, but also success on star exams, you know, because there's multiple science star exams, one at fifth grade, one at eighth grade, and then one at ninth grade. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it starts with the, you know, equitability, or uh, is that even a word <laughs> um, that, 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 you know, the inequity, I guess, that, that exists among school systems, you know, because if you don't have the funding to properly educate your teachers, you know, and provide them with the materials and, and resources that they need to, teach their students the solid science course that they need or provide them with the professional development they need to become better teachers, it's going to bear out in student scores, I think, honestly, and student performance. Because if the teachers don't have access to those things, then there's no way that they can help their students improve. There's only so much, let's put it this way, the well is only so deep, mm-hmm. right? That, that the teachers, you know, the teacher can only get, you know, can only know so much and do so much. And if they don't have access, you know, if that access is not provided for them, then their students aren't going to be successful. And I mean, and, and we can see this when we look at, you know, scores across, you know, socioeconomic lines, right? I mean, s- students who come from wealthier schools are going to have better scores on these EOCs than students who come from schools that are not as well sourced. And I mean, that right there to me screams that there is inequity, you know, at the at much higher levels. And so until we are willing to, you know, equitably fund everyone and equitably provide, you know, the resources that all teachers need, regardless of, you know, school income, you know, the, the income level of the community, then you're still going to see, um, you know, inequities across the board, you know. And the other thing, too, is that if you think about it, you've got students who are taught by brand new teachers, you know, like people who are fresh off the turnip truck, brand new, whether it is they are just graduated from college or they've gone through an alternative certification program and, and teaching is their second career. You know, how fair is it that these people are, you know, teaching these kids? I mean, I'm not saying that they shouldn't be because everybody had to start somewhere, but disproportionately, <laughs> you know, there are students in some schools that, let's face it, that's the the bulk of their teaching core are brand new mm-hmm. teachers who don't know necessarily have the tools in their toolboxes that those of us who are veterans and who've been teaching forever and ever or who teach in, you know, affluent schools have access to. You know, and so, you know, it's just if if we can't get everybody, you know, the resources that they need, how are we going to make sure that all of our kids are successful? We're it, it's going to be impossible. 
Yeah. You gave me a, an idea that maybe we should have, like, as teachers, we should all be, like, students get a handicap and, like, like in golf. Like, <laughs> yes. Like, like, like. Can I take a moment? Like, like the, your school, your school, you're, you're, based off of your school, you're, you get a, you're a plus, uh, you're a plus 35, you're a plus 21. <laughs> right. Uh, well, the truth is, is that, like, because even if you're, you know, even if when you're in a, I, I don't know how to, it's impossible to parse out like all of those different factors that you mentioned. So like, yeah, you know, like if you're at, at, you know, my school, which is very good school in a, in a relatively affluent community and you get, you know, me who's, you know, old, uh, who's been teaching for a long time and who's been a reader on the AP <laughs> and who understands all of these different things and has all these resources, like comparing me to somebody who is a and I have a network of teachers in my building and a network of teachers outside my building. It's just not this. It's not equal. That that student is not taking the same class as somebody who is taking a class with a first year teacher in a less well-resourced school who does not have maybe mentors or experienced teachers around them helping them. Even when I did my first year teaching AP, I had enormous support when I taught it. Um, and that's, it's just not the same. And, and that goes for, as we're talking about AP, but it also, it's also true of our state exams. Like, um, you know, I was on our standard setting committee, um, you know, many, many years ago. And so I understood that exam inside and out. So students who had me, I really understood the exam that I was preparing my students for a first year teacher walking into that classroom that they don't know what they don't know about that exam. Like, you know, and, right. and it's, right. it's, it's not their fault. Cause as you said, everyone has to start somewhere, but the students ultimately their experience is going to be shaped by that. So exactly. Yeah. And then we exactly. add on to what Ryan, you know, we've talked about with Ryan. So, so Ryan, I know that you've, you have strong feelings about this and we've talked a lot about, you know, your personal experience, but what are the inequities that you see in, in end of course exams for your students in your community? Well, to piggyback off of what Lisa said, you know, I'm, I'm kind of living both sides. So my, comfort level with biology is is fine. I, I have no problem teaching biology, but at the same time, I'm teaching chemistry. We're, we actually don't offer AP bio this year. We're offering the equivalent of AP chem. And in that regard, my kids are getting a brand new teacher. I've never taught AP chem. I um, It's been 19 years since I took a chemistry class. I'm, I'm trying to remember this stuff as I go along. I, I'm but I'm the only teacher. So I, I, I am living the entire, uh, what Lee was saying. I, I don't have anyone that I can talk to. I don't know what I don't know. Um, kids are asking me questions and I'm not used to being a, I'm not used to, um, having no idea where to even begin to answer their question, but that's kind of where I am. And so, um, my my kids are it, it's it's kind of a dichotomy you know my my life science kids are, are are fine but my my physical science kids my you know my chems and my physics they they are dealing with basically a brand new teacher it's it's been so long for me so um my administration is amazing they have yet to say no to me when it term when it comes to buying resources but like again, Lee said, I don't know what resources I need. I I don't know what to ask for. So, I you know I I want to go to um, professional development. 
of course this is 2020 2021 so i can't go any place but even even if i could you know i'm now I, i'm going to these places as I, I'm not a brand new teacher. This is my 13th year teaching, but I basically am a brand new teacher because I, I don't, I'm not at the same content level as, as the other teachers teaching this stuff. So I don't get to go to an NABT where I'm comfortable with everyone and I know everyone and I'm kind of someone in, in the NABT community. I'm going to a place where I am no one. I, I, no one knows who I am. I, I feel just like a dunce compared to some of these people. Um, so I, I, I feel, I, I feel both sides of this, you know, my, my, my kids mm-hmm. are, um, b- before they get to me, they are, they are not getting much of a science education at all. It is very much sit and get fill in the blank PowerPoint notes, um, very little in terms of activity. And so I feel like I'm where I am now versus where when I was at my more affluent suburban district, they're, they're just two different, two, it's two different sides of the spectrum. So when I look at the EOC and what the, the inequities that it is magnifying, I'm, I'm really seeing it in, at, at this rural school that I'm at, and I'm seeing it at all of the surrounding rural schools. They are dealing with similar things the the teachers just don't know what they don't know they don't necessarily have the resources to send them any place and if they do it's going to be someplace close by where we hear the same thing over and over again we're not getting that you know nationwide pd the cutting edge pd um so i i feel like you know like like we've said the the my kids do they they deserve that handicap <laughs> they are um they they are just not starting in the same place as lee's students as sanea students as your students um and they're definitely not ending in the same place either and you probably have kids that are super smart either way so like for that the for their just where they happen to be born and that, you know, for the situation of the school or whatever that happened that that's going to impact like whatever scores they end up with or whatever. Like, no, I just absolutely. Think, yeah. And I think it's, I don't know. We, I, it's, I feel like as a system, as a nation, we could, you're never going to like totally like, you know, even out the playing field, but I think we could do better than what we're doing. Right. We should aim for doing better, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and and in where where I am, you know, if you are born one place, or if you're born like literally two miles east or two miles west, could be a huge difference in the the caliber of school district. Um, like it it in in places where you're densely populated, like in the Northeast, um, and I know in like places like New Jersey, you will have some of the highest performing schools and some of the lowest performing schools in the state you know, just a couple miles away from each other. Um, but through the structures of, you know, the housing discrimination and redlining, if we want to go and set those up, you know, the, the establishment of the communities that are there and the schools and the school districts to isolate one group from another, th- those things were set up and we're seeing the, the consequences of those today. Um, as Ryan was talking, I was thinking I did the exact, exact opposite. I went from a low resourced, uh, 
you know, more, you know, it was urban as opposed to rural, but it was a district where, you know, my students didn't have a great background. I was not teaching biology. I was teaching other, I was teaching chemistry. I was teaching physics. I was teaching things that I was, were not my, were not my bread and butter, things that I didn't know. And I was a younger teacher and I was like, I can need to go someplace where I can, you know, biology is my passion. I need to go there. And I went to a well-resourced district and grew as a biology teacher in the place that I currently am. So I actually went the other way, but I was, I, I did have some reticence about leaving that poorly resourced district because I felt like I was just another one of many, many teachers that churned through that school. Um, and I still will, I, you know, I had to do what was best sort of for me in being an adult and being a person, but there is a part of me that has always, that's always hurt that that was the way a system set up. I mean, but yeah, I did same thing. I, I went to public, I was teaching at public school at the beginning of my career and based on the experiences that I have, they sure did not make me want to go back. Like, you know, yeah. I, 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 I felt like I was, um, not treated, uh, very kindly, uh, just there's a lot of there's a lot of things that like I'm like mm, I don't know if I'm meant to be a public school teacher but then I'm like it wasn't the kid like it wasn't usually the kids right oh, it no. was something about the structures and the system that were were very infuriating or I, I just didn't have the support that I needed to grow into the teacher that I wanted to be and I wasn't even encouraged to try to even become the teacher I wanted to be yeah yeah I I 100% relate that's that, that was what drove my decision to come to the school I currently am at. Um, well, today, as we're talking, I know that that you're, you've had other thoughts about some of the issues with having end of course exams and how that impacts the students um, beyond what we've talked about. So what are, what else are you thinking about in terms of how end of course exams impact sort of the shape of the courses that your students take? Well, the one thing that for me, that's just been uh, very frustrating is when I do go to the conferences and I talk to the other teachers, I'm like, how is it that some teachers have twice the amount of time on their schedule that I do? <laughs> and I'm supposed to get through this same amount of content as them. And then our kids are supposed to be compared, you know, apples to apples. And I'm like, it's not the, it's, I mean, I, I'm getting, I'm, yes, am I going to get through all the content? I'm getting through it, but I'd like to be able to kind of just sit with it and like, you know, like, you know, simmer with it a little bit and have some fun. And I feel like I have no time to do that because of the schedule. And um, I don't, obviously my school uh, could change the schedule, but there is, you know, they've talked about changing the schedule, but it hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you change the schedule, you still have to think about like, why are we doing what we do? What do we value? What are, are we trying to get, the kids through multi, you know the most courses we can or are we trying to get the kids to have like a deep experience so it comes back again to like what do we value as an institution or a school or do we even value giving kids diff- different kids having different choices um, and a, a lot of times it's like well you have to kind of cater to the masses right mm-hmm. if you have the parents that are trying to get their kids into the certain colleges and um, they want to have their kids be able to take multiple, you know, I don't know how many APs. I have some kids who are like four APs, five APs at a time. I, I don't know yep. if you guys have that. But like if they're doing mm-hmm. that oh, their yeah. junior, their senior year and they do that their junior year and then they take a couple APs their 
their senior year, I mean, these, these, they have, they're having a lot of APs, right? Um, and they, I'm assuming that they, they're paying for this too, right? That's inequitable too. So for me, is the schedule's really been bothering me. Um, I don't know how in my 50 minutes, four times a week, you know, um, and then there's days where I have to be gone because I'm doing like the freshman retreat or I'm going to do a magis retreat or there's just days where I'm just, my students aren't going to have me physically in class because I'm obliged to do something else. Um, so they have like maybe a flex period that day where they're not going to see me. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm being compared to teachers who have a schedule where they maybe get, you know, almost double the amount of time that I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I know. Stu- I knew teachers who get ninety minutes a day, all year long, teach AP biology. Like, I just can't. I like. I'm. I'm yeah. trying to process that, and I'm just. <laughs> I'm going. What would I do with that? Like, oh my gosh! Like, we'd be able to do like an FRQ every week. Like, ah, uh, like, I'm just so jealous when I hear about that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a the district that I live in uh, has two periods yeah. a day for that course. And they are 55 minute periods. So these people are getting 110 minutes a day all year long. And here I am, you know, trying to teach my kids in, you know, 90 minutes or not even 90 minutes, 85 minutes every other day. (laughs) And while I am as well resourced as they are in terms of material goods and training and whatnot, it's time, you know, and and time is is not something you can buy. And, and, and so, you know, it's, it doesn't seem to be a very fair comparison, regardless of how the statistics are massaged, you know, and how well the exams are constructed, there is still, you know, at the end of the day, they're going to be, you know, inequities, yeah. no matter what. Well, and then we forget, talk about the kids who are taking this course as a freshman or a sophomore who've never taken a biology course, never taken yes. a chemistry course versus the kids who, you know, the, when I started teaching my first year, you know, the course was two thirds seniors, most of whom have taken all of them whom had taken biology and chemistry, many of whom who had taken AP bio, AP chemistry and AP stats. So I had kids who had already taken at least one biology course, one chemistry course, and most had taken a stats course before they walked in. And I know people who teach sophomores who've never taken a biology course before let alone a stats mm-hmm. course or a chemistry course. So like those people all sit for the same exam, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, it's just, yep. they are not, they're just not the same. So um, yeah. And the, the, uh, the thing that, that I think about it and I see really in my district, and I think it probably is, you know, as today, as you were talking about the number of kids and in my district, there's a, there is a push to resequence our science courses. And part of that push is to, increase the number of AP courses that kids can take. That is, you know, it's not the only factor, but it is a contributing factor to the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that is not something I care about, but it is something that it has to be dealt with. And it's it's at odds with some of my thoughts about teaching the best AP courses, you know? Maximizing the number of courses is at odds with necessarily trying to teach the best course. Um, but when I think about all this, I think about like, there's schools that don't offer AP at all. And when they don't offer AP, what, what kind of um, space is that free up? Like for the teachers to be teachers who aren't teaching to a test for the kids to like maybe develop some skills that are really, really important. Maybe they haven't memorized everything in the biology content that they need to, but like they're going to, they can, if they can develop some skills, right. 
that they can carry on and take on with them that, that, that will be useful in college, regardless of what major they have, does it matter that they didn't take an AP test? And so sometimes I feel like maybe it's more important to have, you're going to probably ask me why am I teaching AP, right? <laughs> but maybe it's more important to have like people who are problem solvers, like people who want to go out into the world and say, I see these problems and I can collaborate and communicate and work with other people to solve these problems. Like that might be a, a lot more important than having a kid take an AP test. And so I'm mm -hmm. starting to like question a lot about like, what am I doing? What, why am I doing what I'm doing? Like, is this, is this where my energy should, should be? Um, and it's, this year has been very isolating too, because of the, like I go to class and I, like last week I was in my classroom all by myself all week. Like I didn't talk to any adults, you know, it was no kids, no, nobody. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm trying not to overcorrect too much for this year myself in general, but um, I would also say that sort of building off it, there are schools that do not offer AP because they have chosen through their philosophy to go a different direction. And I know, like, I know mm -hmm. some schools that are like that, but I also know there's places where kids don't get opportunity to have to take APs because they don't have the resources or the teachers that have the background to teach them. And so, like, a school not teaching AP could be for a variety of reasons. And right, the right, kids right. are the ones that are ultimately there. And if it's part of a larger philosophy, the kids who are at well-resourced schools where they've just chosen to go a different direction, those kids could still sit for the AP exam if they wanted to. They could, you know, my, my, in my school, kids self-study for exams that we don't offer the courses for and they take advanced courses and, you know, they're fine. But yeah. Our kids are fine. Like that's, that's the case. Um, my issue, my other issue that I didn't bring up is that there are kids who like the end of course exam t doesn't really mesh nicely with the fixed mindset of that a lot of my kids take. So like generally speaking, the kids who take AP biology in my school are the kids who are good at science. The kids who already have it in their mind that they're good at science. Like we're not opening opportunities to these. This It's not really, I don't see kids taking this course and getting their minds expanded into the world of AP biology, like it feels like it's very heavily self-selected and that the kids who take it are the kids who, that by the time they become 16, 17, 18 years old, they've decided they're good at science. And so they take the advanced science classes. And, mm -hmm. and then there's kids who, when they struggle on an end of course exam, they like, I know kids who struggle in an AP biology course and they are, their end result of struggling with that course is not that like I was 16 or 17 and that course was really, really hard. It was, I'm bad at science and that will impact them beyond their, the years. Um, and the way people talk about the courses that they choose to take and how their the scores impact their like worldview of how they think about things. I don't know. It feels very fixed. And the, the way people talk about students who are ready for AP or what the AP exams mean, or even end of course exams in general, it, it really bothers with me because I feel like it reinforces a lot of the fixed mindset conversation for what people's capacity to learn is. Um, so, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of schools do the, where they pick the, like the kids that take the AP classes are the kids that they know they're going to do well in the AP test. Yeah. So it's not like that really represents everybody in the school. Mm -mm. Yeah. No, it's gatekeeping of yeah. the worst kind. Well, and every year I have I teachers mean, who come to me and they mean well, but they'll say, I just don't know if this kid can take the AP course. And my answer is always like, do they want to take AP? And they're like, well, yeah, but like, I'm going to have them sign up. Like, 
like <laughs> like have them sign up. Very few of my students drop AP AP biology when they take it. Uh, not not everyone like flies. They are they don't do great, but they usually get through. You know, um, mm-hmm. but there is a lot of gatekeeping well before they get to me. Um, and that's Ooh. yeah, that's a problem. All right. Well, that was a sunshine. I think this is the sunshiny kind of episode we needed on the tail end of the week. But I would love to hear your thoughts uh, about end of course exams. What are you feeling? Uh, what are your we're phil- philosophical thoughts? We're going to get into the nuts and bolts of EOCs in the pandemic, and and we we dabbled into this course, but we're gonna we're gonna get into the actual EOCs of our pandemic. And I think we're going to be more positive in our next episode. I keep saying that every time. <laughs> I'm too much of an optimist, but I'm going to do it. So uh, if you want to share your thoughts, uh, please share them at Life of the School on Twitter. It's a much safer place today than it was a few days ago. Uh, so come to Twitter, at Life of the School. Give us your thoughts. Um, uh, you can also subscribe to Life of the School on your podcast player of choice. Uh, you can become a Patreon by come, going to patreon.com slash lots. I post out my show notes early uh, for folks there. I also post my show notes on lifeoftheschool.org. Music on this and every episode is by my backup band leader, uh, Jake Jenkins and Ex Magicians. Uh, and again, you can follow us on uh, on Twitter at Life at School. So uh, we will see everybody uh, and when we, in our next episode when we talk about uh, EOCs during the pandemic. Bye.